Welcome everyone to the Partner Up Profits Podcast. I'm your host, Joey Viancourt, a former introverted small towner who now adds value to businesses by sharing the most effective ways to grow and scale using affiliate and influencer partnership strategies. I'll share the lessons I've learned over the past 15 years while helping my clients generate more than $100 million in sales. We'll also dive into productivity hacks, mindset, and the newest trends from real case studies and expert interviews. You're just one partnership away from changing your business. So get ready, partner up, and profit. Let's get into it. On today's podcast episode, we've got a special one. We're going to be interviewing none other than the godfather of digital marketing, Mr. Mark Joyner. And for those of you who don't know Mark, he is an OG in the industry. He's the inventor of the first tracking pixel, among many other accomplishments, and the founder of over 30 different startups, including Simpleology, which is a software I've personally used and I know people in the company have used to simplify their life and cut their workload in half. Now, how do I know Mark personally and why I brought him onto the podcast was that I was connected through Bioptimizers and Utopia. Mark came in to help us uplevel some copy and some marketing and some funnel upgrades. And we've been experiencing some really big wins. We're also continuing to mind meld on a weekly basis. And I said, why not bring him in on the podcast? Let's talk some shop. Let's share some insights with people and just deliver a bit of value and get it behind the scenes as to what's happening. And not only that, Mark has a lot of different philosophies in life, as well as things that he's looking at in terms of trends and how technological advancements are going to create unintended consequences in our life and how to protect ourselves as a business, how to thrive. And we're going to talk about integration marketing, which may sound like a new concept, but it's something that's been tried and true. And Mark has a book on this, and it's something that we practice a lot. And it's an entirely new discovery method on how to integrate your marketing into co-initiatives and amplify your business in ways you've probably never even thought of yet. I am super excited to do this interview. I can't wait to deliver the insights. And we have a few surprise bonuses near the end, including a roadmap to money, which is a really cool title. And I'm already sold on it after doing the podcast with him. So I can't wait to share that with you. Let's get into the podcast right now. All right, Mr. Mark Joyner, welcome to the Partner of Profits podcast. I am excited for you to be here with me today and to share your message because you and I have been having really great conversations together through Bioptimizers and Utopia, but I'm happy that I can present now with you on the call to everyone listening. So thanks for being here. And yeah, great to be here. Before we get started, a little icebreaker. What's something interesting about you that maybe some people don't know? I put a lot of personal details out there. So probably one of the things that that people are not as aware of as I used to work in the military intelligence community. People who come see me speak live in that context, they might hear about that. But uh, I did spend a good several years working in that. I got trained in the Korean language and was working in the Korean theater of operations on intelligence missions there. That when people hear about you professionally, what you're doing now, they often don't hear about if you had a military pass, that's often one of the things that people won't hear. But I do try to work it into everything I talk about as often as I can, because it provides a great context for metaphor. Absolutely. And it makes a really cool character building biography because I was reading through your stuff and Mark and I are still getting to know each other. And I've got a bit of a background myself and I used to be a farmer, pet hotel owner. I've got a bunch of different backgrounds with affiliate marketing in the middle. So it's interesting to hear everyone's backstory. And I'm going to give you a more formal intro very soon. But Mark, again, has been working with a company and Matt, who is like a super connector, Matt Gallant, the CEO of Optimizers and Utopia. He's known Mark for many years. And we finally had the opportunity to bring him in to work with the company to support us on some copywriting and marketing initiatives. And what a great experience has been so far. And I just thought, hey, why not have you on the podcast? Let's get to know each other 
little bit better, ask some more intriguing questions that I can also share with everyone on the podcast here. But before we jump into the questions, I want to share some respect for Mark here. Things I really appreciate about you is your speed of implementation. I know ChatGPT and AI is coming out right now, but like, I just imagine you using ChatGPT, but I know you probably don't. I don't know your sauce. Yeah. <laughs> you are fast, man. We'll think of like an email and Mark's like already writing it. And it's interesting because like, I didn't really know your background until kind of Matt introduced you. And I knew Simpleology was part of your ecosystem and Andy was using it, our COO. And anyways, the cool thing was the copywriting skills. I really didn't understand that you were the one writing all those things behind it. And you have a very nice conversational tone to your copy. And it reads like a conversation. It's it's nice to read. It's fluid. And I love mind melding with you on calls. Like we've been having some good marketing yeah. calls. Really, really cool stuff because you've got, I think probably over 20 years experience, kind of an OG in the industry. You could easily come in and say, hey, I'm dominating this call. I'm doing this my way. And guys, I've done this a lot longer than you, but you're very humble. You're very open to perspectives and hearing people out and also recognizing ideas as they come. So really respect that about you and really appreciate the time we've had so far together. Thank you for saying that, man. And I really respect you guys too. I love the culture at Bioptimizers. You guys are wonderful. It's been kind of a dream working with you guys. I mean, there's just very, almost zero friction. We're all just like getting everything done and producing good work. And it's just great. Awesome. Well, likewise, and more formal intro now. So Mark Joyner, also known as the Lord Commander of the Multiverse, which I love that. I love the manifestation there. And it's You like, asked me on your form how to pronounce the yeah. name. Yeah. I was like, that's the most unique answer I've ever seen. So great job. Founder of 30 Startup, now serves as founder and CEO of Simpleology, a web app that doubles your free time and cuts your workload in half by simplifying your life. What a wonderful product that is. And we're going to have a little special intro for that later too. Mark's often referred to as the father of digital marketing for his pioneering role in the early days of online marketing. And among other things, he started the first ebook publishing company, the first online ad tracking company, the second PPC search engine, invented the tracking pixel, and so on. And if that's not enough on the personal side, I thought this was really interesting. So I wanted to just preface this whole conversation with the background of Mark as a former U.S. Army officer, a Cold War veteran of military intelligence. He's been awarded for his military service by the NSA, the Defense Language Institute, the U.S. Army, the Republic of Korea Army, the Korean Consulate General, and the President of the United States. That is a massive resume of accomplishments. And I could go on, but is there anything else that you want to be recognized for before we jump into some questions here and get to the value part of the conversation here? I think you did a great intro there. Those are the high points that I like to get out there. I will just say on a personal level, I am also kind of a bit of a biohacker. I'm at 54, I've been working, I've been into this kind of stuff for a very, very long time. And as I age, I get more and more deeply into it because of course your sense of urgency increases. So I take that very, very seriously. And I love the products that you guys have as well. Like right now, it's been like the exclusive supplement I've been working with some of the various Bioptimizers products. And like Paul Check said in a live conversation that I had with him and Wade, he said, hey guys, plug anything you want. And Paul said, I'll plug something for Wade. The thing about Bioptimizers product, they actually work. And everybody laughed, right? Because it was such a truism about the industry. There's so much stuff out there that doesn't work, but Bioptimizer stuff does. It's wonderful. Yeah, it's interesting because that's one of the tech lines that we've tried to test. It's like there's superhuman health, there's regular health, and then there's sick. People don't know that there's a higher level to achieve rather than just regular health. And yeah. it's one of the core values. And I think that's what attracts people now to the company that are kind of getting hit to like biohacking and premium health services and not mm. at a premium, like it's not a pharmaceutical. 
These are products yeah. that actually work and no side effects. We want to keep it very holistic and organic and things that are going to benefit us as we get older. And as I get older, it's also very apparent to me. It's like, hey, we, it's time to start taking health seriously. So not right. only are we health focused, but we're also mission driven. You and mm. I talked about this a little bit. One of the things that attracted me to the company initially was Matt and Wade's vision. And there was a wolf pack when we first started. There was six of us. The second round, Matt and Wade started a company back in like 04. And I think they're paying themselves in supplements and that was like good enough. But then they turned into a business, I think in 2015, 2016, I was brought in as a consultant for affiliate side. And what really stood out to me was the drive and the vision and the, just the personalities of both of them that wanted to achieve something more than just money. And throughout the years, we went from a team of six to a team of over a hundred now, doubling in size, making the Inc. 5000 list, the third fastest supplement growing company. And what really stood out to me is the culture they built and the culture of allowing people to want to rise up, be empowered, make decisions and level up and bring in experts and attract experts, not only in teams, but in consultants and experts to come in with like, hey, I need help with this. And we're going to hire people to help us build that. And I don't think a lot of companies have that culture built into it. They might have a great product. They might even be on the pace to make a hundred million or a bunch of money, but it's not sustainable maybe as a team dynamic. And that's what really attracted me. And I'd love to hear a little bit off the cuff of like, besides the biohacking element and besides the idea that you love Matt and Wade, because they're great people and for so long. As a company, what was it that kind of attracted you to work with us out of all the ones you could choose to work with? Well, aside from just liking the guys, the effectiveness of the products. I've had gut issues that so many people in modern society have these days since I was very young. And those products have been some of the most impactful in improving the condition. I'm about ready to do a big, massive Mark Joyner becomes the first biohacked boy program we talked about. So for the backstory for everybody else, when I came in, they were like, hey, any of the supplements, whatever you want. I said, okay, I'm going to go like full in, right? So I found Wade's Spring Clean Your Gut Protocol. And anyway, knowing that I'm working with stuff that's helping a lot of people is really important to me. I want to be in an environment where I know that I'm contributing in a positive way to the team, but I also want to know that we're not in a vacuum in this world, right? We are interconnected in ways that we cannot even fathom. Buckminster Fuller talked about this a lot in his work. So it's very important that you know what you are putting out there in the world is having a positive impact because these things come back to you. We're creating the environment that we are in. And if we're putting garbage out in the environment, well, then we have to live in that. I feel like if you put good things out in the environment, everything gets better. And a lot of people hear that and they think, oh, that sound. No, I'd really think about it. If you really think about it, you start to get a sense of responsibility of like, holy crap, it does affect me. I can't just profit at the expense of others and not expect that to affect me. That was probably the other linchpin for me. Yeah. And that is super powerful. And it's a story that I have heard a couple of times from people that have come to the company and they might've been on another extreme in another life at another age where they yeah. the extreme of like, I wasn't healthy and I did a lot of things I kind of regret doing. And now I'm on the other side. It's kind of a story of redemption. A lot of times where people are now finding salvation through meaningful work and passionate work and profit comes as a natural side product as as you would, but everything needs to make money in order to, for it to thrive. I, I love those stories. And again, like having team members that come to us and say, oh my God, I didn't know this culture could exist. And one yeah. two before we jump into some questions is like the manifestation is real. It might sound like woo woo and trust me, seven years ago, Matt, Wade and Andy and I sat down at traffic and conversion in a hotel room and we did a manifestation meditation. I didn't know what it was. And I was kind of like, peeking and like, is anyone else doing this actually? And I didn't believe in the stuff, but I went through with it. And as I really started to lean in on it and we started to see some success and I realized manifestation was actually working. 
And the more we brought people in, the more compounded. And continuously to this day, we continue to do meditations on every biweekly meeting. And for one minute, it's a collective thought of everyone in the company. And we're sitting down focused on a vision traction organizer or a three-year picture, 25-year picture. So I love the culture. I love who it brings us. And today I'm excited to be sharing the knowledge from you, sir, the godfather of marketing. So let's get into it. Everyone the call here, it's partnership marketers, people that are basically trying to do more with less time or do more on a budget. So I'm trying to treat them with a bit of value that I get to look into and share some of that wisdom with people so that if they're part of a smaller team, they might be empowered to make some new decisions based on what they're learning here. One question I really wanted to know selfishly, I was curious, who were your top mentors, top three maybe, from the beginning stage and who remained those top mentors throughout your entire career up until today maybe? Yeah, I've had so many that have been consequential in my life. I was very, very lucky. When I was in the army, I was starting my life in business in the early 1990s. So a lot of people online didn't know I was like simultaneous. I was kind of keeping all that secret that I was living that two lives at the same time. A friend of mine, Wynn Winger, he's a guy who wrote a book called The Einstein Factor. He was a guy who studied human intelligence for his entire life. I, I was not trained in marketing in the time at all. Like I didn't have any marketing education. What I had was my study of military philosophy and the study of human psychology. And I was just sort of applying that to business and it worked really, really well. But I thought I should really learn from the people who've been doing this for a while, right? So I asked Wynn Wenger, I said, who would you recommend? And he says, well, this is before this guy, the name I'm about to give was big. He says, the guy I trust the most is Joe Vitale, right? And Joe, of course, is hugely famous now for his law of attraction stuff. But a lot of people don't know he's one of the best marketing experts alive. And Joe started teaching me stuff. And then but he introduced me to a lot of other people. And the two other very, very consequential influences that I met through him, both, I believe, were Joe Sugarman, the guy who pioneered the blue blocker trend in the world and was known as the greatest gadget salesman in the world. He became a very close friend and dear mentor. And then also Ted Nicholas was a guy who sold billions of dollars with the power of the written word. One of the greatest copywriters ever. Ted and his family and I got very close as well. And those two were like fathers to me. Shorter term influence was Gary Halbert before he passed away. I knew him for a few years before he moved on. All three of those guys, by the way, have since passed away. That's how old I'm getting now. But <laughs> so those three guys and well, and Joe too. So actually I named four. Yeah, those guys all had a huge impact on my understanding of business in the general world. Those are amazing mentors to have. And I think what stands out to me a lot of times when I have conversations regarding like what people's background is, is that they're not formally trained in any of this. Like nobody yeah. went to university for advertising and came out and started to be a marketing whiz. Maybe there are people, but the majority of leaders, it seems like they just stumbled into it. And they're true fans of marketing. Like I love marketing. I love unpacking it. I love yeah. unpacking copy, why that works, funnel hacking. I just think that there's a natural attraction. And it's something that you truly are passionate about. So really cool stuff. And for those of you listening, take note on all those mentors, buy their stuff, buy their books, learn. Yeah. <laughs> One question I wanted to get into too was like technology is kind of rapidly advancing. I recently started to just read the book Sapiens. It was recommended to me a long time ago. I never got around to it. First chapter, blown away, just listening. And I'm just like, oh my God, this is so interesting. It makes sense. And I could just listen to that the entire day and like watch Netflix series about all these different phenomenons and, and literature. But I was talking to my wife and on the weekend, we had a bit of a conversation on like the evolutionary perspective of our brains, of how they must be struggling to keep up and subconsciously comprehend what's happening around us. It's like, think of the advancements that happened in the last hundred years. They're far beyond what we've ever experienced and in a far shorter amount of time. So like we might not consciously know what's happening, but I'm kind of concerned that in one day, we're going to have studies done about this era of all this advancement of technology and learning and our brains either inability to keep up or just what was 
the effect of it all. So a bit of a spiel to ask, like, how do you see the rapid pace of technological advancements playing a part in our future, if at all? Yeah, well, this is something I've been talking about for decades now. And my last book was was all about this. And I think it's the context in the conversation we all need to be having that we're not. To sort of give a very short version of this, that one of the best visualizations I heard about it was from another dear friend and mentor, Robert Anton Wilson. He was a very interesting writer. People don't know about him. You can Google him. He was an unusual character, to put it mildly, extremely intelligent. And one of the things he talked to me about was how, hey, a way to understand this it looks like future shock and whatnot. There's sort of a having throughout time of the period of time in between paradigm shifts. So if you imagine the discovery of fire was a million years ago, and then the Stone Age, half a million, and then the next advancement would be 250, then the next 125, and it keeps having and having and having. Or So I talk about it in that, my latest book is like, I call it the great having or the great doubling because the pace of change is doubling constantly. It's on an exponential curve. And the way I simplify it for people is everything is getting faster, smaller, more powerful, more available and cheaper, right? It's what I call the big five phenomena. And the thing that we need to understand is that it's happening in every field of human endeavor. Like literally there's a paradigm shift every day. And if you let people know like how big of a deal a paradigm shift is, Imagine a world without agriculture, right? Most people believe that agriculture is the foundation of civilization. How does that work? Well, if you look at the Latin root of the word for civilization, it's kiwis. It means city. If we didn't have agriculture, we wouldn't have formed around cities. No agriculture, no civilization, right? That's a paradigm shift. We're experiencing a paradigm shift in some field of human endeavor every single day now, and it's happening so fast that people aren't even aware, right? So this is happening to everything, including weapons technology. So we have to really think about this. And the context that I like to put this in is, it's what I call the great war of the future. And it's not between political ideologies or religions or even between nation states. It's between fast moving technology and slow moving government. And the implication of what I just said, if you think about it, it's like, holy crap. I mean, it's unequivocal when you hear it. It's like, oh, that makes perfect sense. We have to face that. We're grappling with it right now. And technology is already moving past our ability to regulate it. And it's certainly way past our ability to manage it and comprehend it as individual humans. Yeah. And this conversation like always fascinates me because things are changing so quickly. And I've got two young boys right now. And I'm always thinking, how can I stay one step ahead? Like every parent would. And it makes it even harder in the world we're in today. And my wife is a grade 10, grade 11 high school teacher. And what you just said really resonated to me because what's happening is that there's so many technological advances surpassing public education systems, and it's never going to get in the curriculum fast enough for anyone to ever stay ahead of it. So how do you go and train into something that's going to be basically obsolete by the time you leave school? So, I mean, that's like a whole bigger conversation. That's huge and something that I'm personally trying to stay ahead of. And it's like, who's the leader? Who's leading that charge, right? So I'm looking for people and if you have recommendations, but I mean, how can you stay ahead of it when you don't know what's coming? Exactly. Well, that's sort of like the whole epiphany of that book is like helping a business owner understand how do you prepare for a world where your business model might even be rendered obsolete overnight. And I mean, to put it in context, like how much everyone is at threat by optimizers is a super future proof business, right? But you've got to be pivotable because here's the magnitude of the kind of thing that can happen. All right. So we had 3d printers when they first came out, they were a very rare item, a specialty item. It would cost you probably 50 K for minimum for an early model. And then they got down to $10,000. Now you could buy a 3d printer on Amazon for a hundred bucks. Okay. So now something that we have in the arsenal of technology that is still relatively expensive, expensive, is 
peptide synthesis machine. If you can synthesize peptides now on a mass scale, well, that means eventually you're going to be able to synthesize peptides at home, right? With a very, very reasonably priced machine, right? So every business has got to look at this and say, okay, let's prepare for the ability to be forced into a pivot. Now to let everybody have the context of how consequential this can be and how massive the pivot has to be, but how it's always doable, I think. If you look at YouTube, a lot of people don't know the history of YouTube, that it was originally a dating site. And they had a great idea. Like if you've ever been on a dating app, you've probably met someone who didn't quite look like their pictures. So they said, hey, let's use video because it will give people a better impression. I thought it was a brilliant idea, right? Failed miserably. So what did they do? They didn't do it most business owners do. Most business owners say, well, Martha, we did our best. We're packing it up. And then they quit. But YouTube said, well, no, we've got the two things that I think are important for pivoting. They've got systems and they've got culture. And among the systems they had, they had this really amazing video streaming technology that they invented for the service. So they pivoted into what YouTube is now and then sold to Google, now Alphabet, for a billion dollars. Right. So if you've got systems and culture in place, you can always pivot. You just have to be aware in the landscape that we're in now that the pivot might be more profound than you're normally ready for. I like the fact that systems and culture are at the top of your pyramid here. So I think that it's really important. I never considered it. Honestly, when I started in this business back in like, I was 2007, so I was a bit of a late bloomer. But like, yeah, I didn't think about systems. I didn't think about culture. <laughs> it was just like, hey, how do I make money off of this? And you start that road and then you're like, hey, I'm making money. And it's like, oh, but I'm in chaos. This isn't a life yes. I want. I'm not happy. I'm not balanced. So I've really been focused on that. And systems protect you. I think just naturally systems will protect me, whether it's through business or whether as an introvert to have systems of coping or if I'm out in a public setting, I know my systems of what are my prompts or my questions and how to prep for being social occasions. So I like that. And culture, hands down. I mean, if your company and your team doesn't have culture, I really hope that you still enjoy what you're doing. But ultimately, yeah. I think you're going to have a lot of people leaving because people are seeking culture, meaning, and passion and missions. Again, like I think that one of the reasons why Optimizers is thriving and, and Utopia and companies that we're becoming are for those two main reasons. And the never ending, like we're never stopping improving. And one of our core values is like S4, Sync, Suggest, Synergize, Solve, and Test, Learn, Grow, Evolve. <laughs> Like there's some two great core values. So I like those two things. And I think that's a good cap on that question. And I want to get into out of everything great happening. Okay. So there are some things coming out like AIs, obviously 2023 is the AI trend. Everything's popping up and people can write an email now in seconds. You can refine it. You can prompt it. Those are all great things. What are we not seeing? Like, what are the downsides that's being neglected from these conversations that you can kind of anticipate or just something you're like, you're predicting down the road here that it's like, Hey guys, you're not considering this. If you've ever been interested in leveling up in partnership marketing, including affiliate and influencer marketing, as well as developing stronger partnerships and making better connections, then I want to invite you to check out PartnerUpProfits.com. It's a passion project dedicated to helping you simplify your business and personal life by giving you access to done-for-you templates, blueprints, and systems related to partnership marketing that you can instantly start to use and see results from. I've always been a systems guy, and the beauty of systems is that it takes the guesswork out of the process and gives you a plan that you can use immediately while saving you time and effort. So you'll get access to free training and courses on everything partnership marketing related to level up your knowledge. And because I have a soft spot for the boots on the ground folks out there who are expected to get more done in less time using less money, the systems I'm giving you are based on a bootstrap budget so you don't need to spend thousands of dollars right out of the gate. Just go to PartnerUpProfits.com and sign up 
through my free course to get my productivity toolbox, which includes templates for scorecards, objective planning, relationship tracking templates, productivity hacks, opportunity calculators, time blocking templates, and a whole bunch more cheat sheets being added regularly that will totally transform you into a partnership marketing expert and productivity ninja. You can also get access to the Bootstrapper's Guide to Influencer Marketing course that has over two hours of content where I'll teach you the right way to start working with influencers, including how to outreach, prospect, and close deals and start developing more partnerships and building your influencer army. Go to partneruppprofits.com and get access now. Well, two things, right? One, the, the notion that this is happening in, in every sector, including weapons technology, right? So to put that one in perspective, so that there's that and then there's unintended consequences. Let's talk about unintended consequences in a minute. Let's put it this way. We have 3D printable automatic weapons now. And it's funny. In the world of 3D automatic weapons, or the ability to do that, we're talking about gun control, right? It's like last century's debate, guys. I'm sorry, whatever your feelings are about that. It's like, I don't even care like where you fall on the side of that debate. It's not relevant anymore, you know? <laughs> and the government is laughable in their response to it. It's like, well, what we're going to do is we're going to make the plans for 3D automatic weapons illegal, right? And I'm like, oh, really? Like, that worked out so well for digital downloads. It didn't put a dent in the digital download phenomenon. So government is just not ready. Well, and if everything is growing exponentially, how many clock cycles before we have 3D printable weapons of mass destruction? So I talked about peptide synthesis machines. That's a potential 3D printable weapon of mass destruction. I mean, there's some great peptides out there. There's some very nasty peptides out there that one could synthesize if they were so inclined. So that's the one thing people are not considering is that we're going to be very soon one angry person's outburst away from ending the world because everybody has access to all these things, right? So we really need to think about the, the implications of that. None of our politicians are having this conversation. And I'm like, man, I don't know what they're doing up there. <laughs> you guys are asleep at the wheel a little bit, or maybe they're thinking about it and they're trying to implement a, a response, right? I mean, there are theories about some of the theories about what's going on in the world are based around the notion that there are people who see this kind of thing and are trying to implement control as a response and they're doing it by stealth. Whatever one thinks about that, that's fine. The other thing is unintended consequences, right? Antibiotics, when they first came out, were hailed as a miracle. And in some cases, they were a miracle. But we didn't know about the human biome back then. You know, the, the, some people argue with this number, but it's around nine to one non-human to human cells in the body, right? If we've got 90 trillion cells approximately in the whole body, only 10 trillion of them are human, right? That's how huge the biome is. And it's more complex than most people will give credit. There's also the virome, the bacteriophages that are little viruses that attack bacteria. I mean, there's all kinds of weird stuff going on there. And our knowledge about it just keeps getting deeper and deeper and deeper. We didn't know that consuming antibiotics was going to be like the neutron bomb attack on the human body that it's turned out to be. And you guys are working to fix that. A lot of what you guys do is working on restoring people's biome integrity. And a lot of that integrity is lost from all pharma, but mostly the antibiotics, right? That's the magnitude of thing we need to think about. We've got things like graphene coming out and it sounds incredibly wonderful. I've been talking about it for a long time, but man, there could be unintended consequences from the use of graphene. We're talking about nanomaterials. What is that going to do to us? We don't know. So that's uh, that's another thing that nobody really talks about that much. So we better start thinking about, it, I think. <laughs> I think it was a Spider-Man movie where he's like, with great power comes great responsibility. And the advanced we get with technology, the more we have to be careful with it. And I think 
3D modeling of guns is like everyone has the power now to destroy something, but yet I think that there's like less and less like mass world wars happening, which is interesting because you think it'd be the opposite in a way. Hey, everyone's got the power now to take things over, but everyone's scared to use it or, or they're being disciplined and not using it. And the thing that I love the health side too, and I want to tie it back a little bit to entrepreneurs, workers from home, people that are actually doing this online. And for me, it comes down to AI and how we use it and not relying solely on AI as a tool that's going to get you through the next part of your business or make you the next million. And it might, but is it sustainable? And is it a culture driven business? Is it a mission driven business? So I think there is a discipline of like, how do we use this properly? But back to systems, what's the system look like? Because the tool is only going to get you as far as your system. If you have a crappy hiring system, you have a crappy culture, you're not going to have a great time working with AI, or you're not going to produce better results, yeah. or you will, but you're never going to get to the next level, or you'll maybe never be happy. Or maybe you are, maybe you're a solopreneur and you love it and it, it makes you millions and good for you. But yeah, I'm interested also. So let's talk a little bit about how can we prepare for this in your in your mind? Like I want to hear the Mark Joyner's perspective here as to what you're going to recommend everyone start to do from this podcast listening to kind of curb those unintended consequences as you keep kind of referring back to them. Well, there's a framework that I use called the three essential hedges. And over time, I mean, by the way, Simpleology was a response to a lot of this to almost 20 years ago now that it came out. One of the things that I talk about is this thing called the complexity gap. The our conscious working memory is only seven bits on average. Of course, there's a bell curve. Some people have higher, some people have lower, but that is a number that it's one of the best studied phenomena in all of cognitive science. The amount of information that we're putting in the world is not only increasing, it's increasing exponentially. So in 2004, Eric Schmidt famously said, Hey, from the dawn of recorded history up until to the end of 2003, we put in four exabytes of data into the stream. In 2004, we're adding that much data into the stream every two to three days. This is what Eric Schmidt said in 2004. So you can imagine here what's happening now, what the pace is now. I mean, I don't even know what the number would be for the, I don't know if anybody could even measure it anymore. So this is the complexity gap. We've always had this gap. It's just getting more and more pronounced. So simpleology was one of the first responses to that. It's like, hey, how do you manage the mind in a world of increasing complexity? So that's sort of the foundation of what I have folks do. But then the three essential hedges are for business owners. And the first is to prioritize as assets in your life, your skills, knowledge, and health. Because one of the things that could happen in this rapid pace of change is that your currency could become valueless. They could seize your assets. I mean, every country has imminent donations domain laws. If it's in the national interest, they can take whatever you got, including your property. So what happens if you lose everything, right? Well, if your skills, knowledge, and health are not intact, God help you. There are a lot of people who get into their business life and they neglect their health so that they can get rich because they're going to throw money at the problem later. And I'm like, well, you could get into an emergency and not have the energy to respond to it. So if your skills, knowledge, and health aren't the foundational assets in your life, you're misprioritizing stuff. So that's number one, hedge number one. Hedge number two is the lifeboat business, which is what we talked about, systems and culture. It's a business that's inherently pivotable because it has an emphasis on systems and culture, as you guys do so well. I think you guys would fare very well if forced with a rapid pivot because you have good systems and you have good culture. So that's number two. I think if people base their business on a model that is not inherently designed to be quickly pivotable, they're going to find themselves in a lot of hot water if they're faced with the forcing of a pivot, which is going to happen to more and more people. And it's going to happen more and more rapidly. People don't understand like how fast it's going to get. It's like if we thought what's happened with ChatGPT 
GPT is anything, well, just remember, this is exponential, guys. That's a taste. That just tells us we're at the bottom of the slope, right? It's going to get faster and faster and faster. The third is big tech marketing independence. And it's a little counterintuitive because people are like, man, I thought big tech would be our, aren't they going to be our best saviors? Well, here's the problem. They can cut your throat in the middle of the night and, and not have a valid reason to do it. There are a lot of people, and I'll say this in live audiences, I'll say, hey guys, I said, stand up if you ever had a, a Google slap. Stand up if you, and, and stay standing, right? Stand up if you ever had an ad account shut down for no good reason and nobody would ever tell you. More people stand up. And I list a bunch of things like this. And then by the end of it, like 95% of the people in the room are standing up. It's like, okay, well, if you get hit like that, let's say your business is completely dependent on Facebook ads. And then suddenly your Facebook ads dry up. Well, God help you. You'd better figure it out. So if you have big tech marketing independence first, and this kind of gets into integration marketing is the answer, then this is what will prepare you. And the metaphor I like to give people is imagine if, if you have only Facebook as your source, then you have a table with one leg. If you got a table with one leg, you chop off the leg, you don't have a table anymore, you got a more or less useless hunk of wood, right? But if you have a table with a thousand legs through integration marketing deals, you can chop off a hundred of those and your table is still standing strong. So that's what people need to do is create those. And that's what the book integration marketing is all about forming these types of alliances with people so that if any particular source that you have dries up and it, and it can in this highly pivotable or highly rapidly changing world, then you'll be way better prepared for that. So I think every business owner, if they're not doing that now, they need to do it right away because there will almost for sure be a time where it's going to be important. Well said. And diversification of income streams is very important, like anybody knows, but not taking the time to develop a solid plan. I think that I stumbled into that integration marketing strategy from maybe six years ago. I had a conversation with Matt. Matt's like, we're going to get into podcast ads. And I was like, cool, man. And then I went home and I was like, what's a podcast? I had no idea what a podcast was, right? Of course, it was at the forefront of how podcasts released before COVID and everything. But I was like, well, I'm just going to make it work because I'm a biz developer and I'll just make it work. We build yeah. like multiple extensions. So we either, I call it like halo marketing or omni-channel marketing when it comes to partnerships, like there's influencers, podcasts, there's affiliates, rev share commissions, but yeah. we are never standing on one leg anymore. And to your point, if you just got a Facebook ad account shut down or Google slapped and your business is down, it's like you need to diversify and learn other things. And that's why I teach people how to do influencer marketing and courses and affiliate marketing and just all these other yeah. strategies. So I want to talk more about integration marketing. Um, I'll be honest, I read three chapters. I did not get through the book. And I wanted to, but so far I'm like, I'll listen to one chapter, And then I was listening and then I couldn't like stop listening to have the audible of it. I was, I was a bit disappointed that you weren't actually reading it, Mark, to be honest. I wanted uh, to sorry. Yeah. On a version <laughs> my, my only one. But there's a quick story behind that. I was actually in New Zealand moving my entire house to the United States. And the day I was supposed to go into the studio and record it, I was like, Hey guys, there's one priority. I got to break. I said, let me reschedule. And they got a little miffed at me, I guess, and they got somebody else to do it. And I thought well, I was going to do it because I love to read my own books anyway. It's a great book so far. I'm really enjoying it. And of course, we talk about integration marketing and we've, we've talked our conversations on marketing and reverse engineering funnels and all that fun stuff. But let's talk a little bit about how this can help a business. And the tagline, which is really interesting, how small businesses become big businesses and big businesses become empires. Share a little bit about the book and just who could benefit and what they can expect from reading it. So anybody in any level of business can benefit from this because, you know, if a 
a low level of business, it's going to give you a way to get traffic without having to risk money with paid ads. So that's one of the primary premises of integration marketing. It's used to create enormous business as well. In fact, some of the greatest fortunes in the history of the world are integration marketing stories. Microsoft was an integration marketing deal. So basically to give everybody a quick definition of integration marketing, you have a unit of marketing value. It could be a brand message. It could be a call to action. It could be a product even. It could even be a physical store. And you integrate it into a traffic stream or a transaction stream. And those traffic streams and transaction streams are everywhere. So a traffic stream is anywhere people are, right? And there's going to be higher and lower density traffic streams, obviously, and better and worsely targeted traffic streams. Like you wouldn't want to integrate an offer for steak in a vegan health resort. And then there are transaction streams, which are better. So for example, Joe Sugarman kind of cotton beyond to the to the whole idea and I started expanding it to larger pictures. It's way beyond what most people think of when they think of like joint ventures, partnerships and stuff like that. It's it, the idea is a lot bigger, right? So blue blockers, you would call them up and they would, you know, you, they would upsell you. That's a form of integration marketing. I mean, you're integrating one of your own offers into a traffic stream, right? That's, I mean, when you think of funnels, that's what we're doing. But the one cool thing that people don't know is you can do that with other companies too. And that's where, whoa, the mind can just get huge. Like one of the first things I was teaching people and Russell Brunson uses this in ClickFunnels, he says they're getting more money from their integration marketing deals now, 10 years later, right? He was like getting started. He was like, well, what would Mark tell me to do? So he started doing integration marketing deals. And he said that they're spending $2 million a month on ads now in ClickFunnels. They're getting more revenue from their integration marketing deals that they set up 10 years ago than they are from their entire paid advertising budget. So if you look at Microsoft, if people don't know the history of personal computers, Apple sort of was the first big major player in the personal computing business. A lot of people don't know that history. They just thought, Oh, it was always Microsoft. No, well, it was Microsoft and IBM together when they when they did their later foray into personal computing. The IBM was primarily business machines. I mean, it's international business machines. That's their that was their model. So they decided that they wanted to break into the PC business. They built a machine together with Intel on open architecture because they didn't understand what they just thought it was a cool, trendy thing to do. And then they didn't have an operating system to run it. Now Bill Gates found a guy with an operating system, bought it. The, that's the point of the story most people tell, which is to me is far less and interesting. You know, Bill Gates didn't actually have the rights to DOS when he went to go have the conversation with IBM. And then he paid the guy after the deal was closed $50,000 for it. A lot of people say that's the main point. To me, it's nothing compared to the real point. The real point is when he negotiated that deal with IBM, he said, look, he says, okay, you guys want our OS. Wonderful. We have two conditions. IBM said, okay, what are they? He said, well, number one, we have to retain the customer relationship. So if anybody wants to buy an upgrade to the software, it has to be through us. And IBM in their hubris, I guess, hubris of preeminence, which happens to a lot of people when they get successful, they said, yeah, sure. No problem. Everybody knows all the money's in the hardware. They didn't understand. Bill Gates was smart enough to see it. So what did he get? He got customer handed to him on a silver platter. And when that it costs minimum four times as much to, or sometimes some people estimate 10 times as much to acquire a new a new customer as it does to sell to an existing one. That was, man, what a golden opportunity. Like they installed his software on every machine that they sent out and they did all of the effort to sell the machine, right? And then they were like, thank you. Now we have the customer. We're going to sell all the upgrades. The other negotiation point that Bill Gates had was that he would reserve the right to do that with other outfits because they were doing this on open architecture and they didn't truly understand the implications. Other people were taking that same architecture and creating competing personal computers. And IBM's response was, sure, no problem. We're IBM. Who's going to compete with us, right? Well, IBM is now the number three computer manufacturer in the world. Two of the original competitors 
that Bill Gates started partnerships with became one and two. So what's the point of this? If you're integrating, you can integrate into many, many interesting places and they can create fortunes when you have the right integration deal, because Bill Gates was able to do that with IBM and all of the other people out there doing it. I mean, imagine how quickly that was able to grow for him at such an incredibly low cost. That's some of the deeper implication of, of integration marketing at the later stage. Yeah. And I mean, that's insightful I, ideas of how that happened for Bill Gates. I wasn't aware of that, but it's very smart. Like you said, let's take one other example of that supplement companies. How do they do yeah. integration marketing? Like walk me through a what would you do, you know, with bio-optimizers? You're yep. behind the driver's seat. How do we do integration marketing? Okay. You guys are already doing a lot of it, right? I would look for traffic streams and transaction streams, and then I would list them all out. And then I would use one of the tools, sort of like an intellectual tool I came up with, I call Hymie, right? This is one of our simpleology tools, right? Every simpleology list has a Hymie sort. You can sort it by impact and ease. So, hey, of all these different partnership opportunities, which which will be the most impactful, rate them one to 10. And then how easy will they be to make the deal? 10 being super easy, one being super hard, right? You list all them out, you Hymie score them, and then you click sort. And then the one that has the highest score is going to tend to be the smartest deal to work with. So you work, you work downward with the Jaime scored list. And so you let your imagination flow, right? So you guys are doing a lot of the low hanging fruit already, right? And I'll give you some other ideas that might open some things up. You're already talking to people who have biohacking audiences, right? One of the big channels. So what if we start thinking about adjacent industries? Like for example, we know that Masszymes works on a systemic level in the, the body to, to dissolve sometimes tissue that could be causing physical pain. What if you started targeting physical therapists, chiropractors, other people who are dealing with physical pain like that? There are adjacent markets that I would always encourage people to start getting into. Sometimes the, depending on the messaging, the targeting might be more or less consequential, but if the messaging is right and the targeting is right, those veins of new customers, right? If you're to think of them as like you know, branches on a, on a giant river, some of those branches can be as consequential as some of the precisely targeted ones. Like the guys who are targeting people who already are like supplement junkies, great. But if I have a physical therapist who's going to recommend a supplement to me to help me get out of pain, that's a really potent, really potent recommendation. And we could go on for probably hours brainstorming potential adjacent markets. So that's one huge to look into over time that any company that I work with, I encourage them to start branching out into that because it's a source for growth that's enormous. I'll just say another one would be physical locations. There are going to be a lot of physical locations out there. One company that did this exceedingly well for a while was Bill Phillips with his Body for Life business. That's a very interesting story if you guys haven't studied that, how they started and how they had a rise to preeminence for a while. They launched the EAS nutrition company that probably the biggest product they had was Myoplex. It was a whey protein shake. And I have opinions about whey protein now that are a little bit from back then. But back then, everybody was like, it's all about the whey. And th at their peak, you could go into grocery stores and see stacks of EAS Myoplex there ready for people to buy. That's another level that I think by optimizers should aspire to. Where can we get physically? There's no reason why we can't be selling digestion packets in like every supermarket in the world at the very least, right? Somebody, it's a, even an impulse buy like, hey, try a little pack of this. This is good for five nights out. Boom. So, and there's all sorts of physical locations. Like that's another thing that people need to think about it. Yeah. The number of nutrition stores in the world is certainly a lot lower now than it was once upon a time before the internet, but they're still out there. Hell, I was in mall of Dubai recently and there was like 
six nutrition stores just in the mall of Dubai. And I thought, this is still there. It's still a phenomenon. But then you start thinking about adjacent markets too. So all of those different private practices that we're talking about, like there's not a single physical therapist or chiropractor in the world who shouldn't be selling masszymes to their customers because it's going to improve their mobility if they use it systemically. That's another source. So there's all sorts of different avenues we could go down with that too. And I would say like really push your imagination about where those physical locations are. And if you get the right connections where you find people that have chains of these things, those are the people that you get really, really big headway with, but you can do it with small shops too. There's no reason not to. The small shops can add a signal. Onesies and twosies can start to add up volume over time, especially if you train them you know, how to properly sell it. Right. There's a sales presentation that would be super effective for that. That's such gold. So like we brought in an expert in retail recently because mm -hmm. we didn't know the how, we needed to find the who. There's a great book by Sam Carpenter, The Who, Not the How, changed my life. I love the book. And that's our mission now. It's like, we don't have to figure out how to do this, find somebody who can do it. I wanted to just recap a couple of really cool ideas I wanted to highlight. So one is retail and physical locations might not be the first starting point. Establish yourself online, establish your lifestyle you want, but then That's right. finding the who is extensions and it's integration marketing. The other thing I really like, which we've done again by accident, I love now that there's like a label, it's like, oh, that's what we were doing is literally, yeah, we can saturate who's selling supplements. Let's sell more supplements of ours. Okay. Well, that's been done and it's hard. It's competitive. And I always refer to it as like harmonized avatars where they're not buying your product, but they're believing the same beliefs and they're on the same mission as you. Like biohackers also yeah. red light therapy. Okay. Well, maybe we start to partner with them because they don't have a product that we're selling. So it's really just yeah. getting creative and diversifying who your selection process is and your prospecting exercise. And I love that idea. And not many people are actually doing that. So I think that's a great strategy and it's a great reminder. And it's like, I don't know how, I think it's an hour and a half book. Like it's a great read. It's a great reminder that I'm going to keep reading again and again, because I actually use books as, I don't say a lot of prayers, I'm not a religious guy, but I like to have a conversation going on in my head. That's maybe a bit higher level than where I'm at in that day, right? To keep me on track, keep me leveling up, keep me accountable. So I highly recommend the book. Mark, what about Rob? map to money. Is this all the funnel that we're going to be going down and getting all these wonderful bonuses and things? Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In fact, so that book, so we were talking about fast moving tech versus slow moving government. That's sort of like the main thesis of the book and helping people get to an awareness of what's actually going on in the world right now, like what the really important conversations are and the implications of all those conversations. You know, and there are all sorts of opportunities that are discussed in the book. So for example, I talk about like nine different growth areas, like, Hey, if you want to start a new business, where are you most likely to make money in light of this rapid pace of technological change? That's one of the many that I talk about in there. So I'll give you an example. One of the things that I talk about is fall and rise of the middleman, right? So the middleman was doing extremely for a large chunk of human recorded history. And then we started to see the fall of the middleman, like we had what I would call middleware, like Uber, right? It's putting all of these taxi companies out of business. And so those middlemen are falling away because of certain technological shifts. But now there's a rise of what I call mutant middlemen. So as technology changes, a lot of people are like, saying, oh, the middleman is dead. Technology has killed the middleman. I'm like, no, man, that's that's not actually what's happening. Like it, that has happened a lot. There's no doubt about that. Your observation is 100% correct to the people who say that. What those futurists are missing is that change is going to bring new ones. I'll give you one really interesting example to let people know the context. So it's May 24th, 2023. You and I are having this conversation. This is the year where ChatGPT blew up. 
right? We watched it go from zero to a million users in the, the fastest recorded time in history. And then it went from zero to, I think, over 100 million users in the fastest time in recorded history. And it's a fraction of what it's taken other companies to do. That's how quickly chat GPT has grown. This is the artificial intelligence revolution happening right before our very eyes right now. How many people now within the pace of like, when did this start? It was like February where it really started blowing up. And here we are in May and already we've got thousands of prompt engineers out there right? Like these people are suddenly like, I am a prompt engineer. I'm a specialist with AI. And I'm like, man, you can't be a specialist in AI yet. You don't even come close to understanding it. But this is the funny thing is though, is that this is a sign of that future trend of the whole, we're going to spawn limitless permutations of mutant middleman opportunities as the world changes. So AI came in and shifted things for a lot of people. By the way, I never write with AI. I'm old school. I just optimize my brain and can write really fast. I train myself to do that, which by the way, is a pathway we should consider to compete with the machines. Elon Musk wants to drill a three millimeter hole in our cranium. Kind of lost me on that one. I would like to explore ways to optimize my human potential first, right? So maybe there are powers inside of us that are greater than we know yet. Anyway, planting seeds there for somebody. <laughs> Mutant middlemen, that's, that's, there are going to be limitless permutations to this. So people should start looking for that kind of opportunity. Anyway, that, this is the kind of thing that book gets into. It, so it helps people see the, the battlefield that we're in right now. And then once you understand, okay, holy crap, that's the magnitude of what we're talking about. How do we function in that world now? And that's what the rest of the book. That's cool. You sold me. I'm definitely going to go check it out. We've got a link for everyone. Partnerprofits.com, Roadmap to Money. They'll be in the show notes. Also, uh, check out Mark. I'm going to mention a couple of his handles here. Instagram handle, author Mark Joyner, official markjoyner.com. And again, partnerprofits.com, Roadmap to Money. Thank you, Mark. I'm going to get in some personal questions. I hope you've got some time to just share. Part of this conversation I love is not just getting to know somebody on the expert level that we all maybe know them in the public eye of. I want to get to know the person a little bit more. And I've got some selfish questions that I want to get answered. And I never have the opportunity to talk to people in this environment. So yeah, let's do it. First question. I always ask everybody because I'm compiling a 101 ways to partner up and profit book one day, and it's going to involve everyone on the podcast and all the partner up power moves we have. So the one I'm going to ask is what's your number one partnership connection strategy? And I know you kind of said, Joey, I'm not really a partnership marketing expert. You are a connection expert though. You connect with people, you're on stage. So I want to know how do you get someone's attention? Like trying to get on someone's podcast and he's not paying attention to you. If you've got the right product and you know, you think you're a good fit, but they're still not picking up your phone because they can hit up left, right, and center. What's something you've done creatively or something someone's done for you that's like, that's it. That's a great move. I'll tell you two things. One, heavily strategic. The other one, extremely tactical. So the strategic stuff is, of course, foundationally what we should be focused on because it's the stuff that's going to have the long lasting cultural impact on everything that you do, right? So there should be overarching strategy to what people do. Otherwise, where are you going? How are you actually going to achieve what you want to achieve? If you have only a single tactic, it's great. That tactic may not be useful Mm -hmm. over time, especially in this landscape. So strategically, what I recommend people do is to follow the dictum of never go in the front door, always go through the side door. I think I'll write a book about this someday. Always go through the side door. And the side door, the back door. So I'll give you an example. If anybody here is old enough to remember the movie Wall Street, the original one. Young, I can't remember what Charlie Sheen's character's name was, but he was always perched in front of Gordon Gecko's office every day. And he would bring him cigars and all kinds of stuff. Smart. 
but it's still going through the front door. He had to be like the Shaolin Temple supplicant showing up every day hearing a no until the Shaolin Temple guy's like, okay, you've been freezing out here for three months. Get your ass in. Let's go. That's okay. Fine. That persistence works, right? A better way is to know somebody who knows somebody. And I'll tell you, for me, that was one of the, the most intelligent things I did when I was really young. I was like, I know Joe Vitale now. Joe knows like almost everybody. I got in Joe's good graces because I did the first ebook publishing for him. Took me two, three years to get him to say yes because he was like, nobody's going to buy ebooks, right? We were the first publishers of ebooks. And when he finally said yes, after a weekend, he comes back to his computer and finds all these notifications. He's like, why am I getting all these emails? I said, bro, those are sales, right? And he's like, really? <laughs> he's like, how much have I made? And I said, oh, you just made about 50K over the weekend. That's what we did for you. And he's like, do you, do you want to publish anything else that I got? <laughs> so, Joe fell in love with us at that point. He and I were sort of friends before that, but then we got very, very close. He's one of my best friends now. And then I said, hey, look, I'm happy to. And I said, but look, just promise me that you'll introduce me to other people. He's like, no problem. He says, I know a lot of people who would love to do this. And I said, great. So I, through Joe, I met all of these direct marketing greats. And I gave them all an offer. I was like, hey, let me publish your stuff for you. So I made a lot of these people a lot of money. So I used the side door, side door to connect with them. And I found one really, really powerful side door opportunity. And then I did something relevant for their lives. Those people would probably have never had the same connection with me. I mean, I would like to think that they would have been scintillated by my stories but <laughs> I don't I don't think that was the entirely the whole story. That wasn't the whole picture. I think a large percentage of this has to do with the fact that I made them all a metric crap ton of money. Right. <laughs> and then they're like, wow, we love you. And that turned into great, great, great relationships. And all of those people I was able to start filtering out now. So that's strategically what people need to think about because you're doing favors for people, which you guys are doing, by the way. You guys are making a lot of people a lot of money, right? With the partnership opportunities that you guys have, start expanding that outward. So that's the strategic thing to always look for side door opportunities. And a lot of people are like, well, I don't know anybody. I'm like, sure you do. You're not going to get there right away. Start small and start leveraging those connections into bigger and bigger and bigger connections. That's the, the other thing strategically. Hmm. Tactically, I'll tell you one specific thing, surprisingly a non-internet thing. One of the best techniques that I've seen out there, and this is by no means anything I invented. It's something I, I wish I could give credit to whoever thought of it first, but there's this dictum that nobody gets a FedEx envelope or box without opening it, right? I think the only time that's ever happened was in the movie Castaway. If you ever saw the movie, he yeah. has the one box with the golden wings on it. And he doesn't open that because it symbolizes hope for him, right? It's the only time it's ever happened. So everybody else... You, Every a normal human, you get a FedEx envelope, you open it up. It's like, this is something important. And it's it, right away. So sending people stuff by FedEx is extremely powerful. And I'll give you an idea of how ninja you could get with it. One guy I saw, I can't remember who did this, but it was so smart. He took a FedEx box and I was one of the recipients of this. He was doing this to launch his book. He sent his book in a FedEx box and it had a recorder right? And it said it was a video recorder. Now this was like before there are handheld cameras in your phone and all that. This was like, hey, it was an actual digital video recording device when those things were new, right? It would still work. I think even if you use those, he hand wrote a note on the book and he hand wrote a note on the recorder and the note on the book was like a really warm. And then I, he, and the, the note on the recorder was push play. So I push play and there's a personalized message. Hey, Mark. And he said intelligent things that showed him, that showed me that he actually knew who I was. It wasn't like some of the AI generated, Hey, 
insert name here. So, and so, and then it generates a thousand names for you. There's software that does that now, right? I could tell it was really, really thoughtful. It was like, okay, this guy didn't just ham-handedly segue in. Hey, I went to your site and I really love it. It was thoughtful stuff. And the, the pitch was, hey, there's a self-addressed stamped return FedEx envelope in there. Would you be so kind as to read my book and then plop this, record a, a testimonial on this device plop it into the return FedEx envelope and ship it back to me. Wow. I tell you what, you got to be a real dick not to do that because you get this expensive video, right? So it was, it was very clever. Very, very clever. Especially when, when was that? Like what timing, what year was that of around? That was around 2006, I think. Yeah. I mean, that's so much more powerful because of the timing of that too. Like think about now you can just send a loom to somebody and it's like, yeah, yeah, I still get excited when I get books in the mail. Like I got this one that has a note on it. Some people write directly in the, on the cover or like yeah. inside the, the flap. There's LCD video cards too. You can send that has like a nice little, it's like a business card too. But I think going the extra effort is worth it. The abundance mentality of like, well, that's going to cost me $20, but think of the opportunity, right? Like how much does that voice recorder cost if the guy never got a back? Yeah, it's, it's out of pocket. Yeah. But who's going to, like you said, be a dick about it? Probably not that many people. And if they are, maybe they're not the right partner or the person for you, in which case you tried and there's going to be success and failure rates. So that's awesome. I love that one. I love the side door. Well, I'll tell you what, today you could do this with a relatively cheap phone. You could probably like tell them the password for the phone and tell them where, where the file is to press play. And I mean, if somebody sends me a phone, even if so, you could, for surprisingly cheap, you can get pretty late model phones now for like a hundred bucks. You can get one that's not really any more than five years old. I've had phones that I use for like five, six years straight. Cause I'm like, there's no point for me to upgrade. I'm not going to, it's silly if I go buy it now. So you could getting a physical object in there. It's a real differentiator, I think, especially if you combine it with that thoughtfulness of in personalization. You, and you would only reserve that for like your legit dream 100 people. Yeah, that's powerful. And as soon as you said phone in an envelope, I went straight to the matrix when Neo picks up the phone and he gets a call from Morpheus. So I don't know, it's a bit scary, but I'd like to go down that rabbit hole. So, all right. Yeah, thank you, Mark. It. That was awesome. Let's go through some another quick fire questions. Good. This is whatever comes to mind first, quick and easy one word answers as much as you can. Favorite food? Favorite food. Ooh, man. Well, because I'm carnivore lately, bacon and eggs. Best memory? Man, I've had so, so first time I became a number one best-selling author. Mm. Felt amazing. Yeah. <laughs> if you had another go around and you got to write a new story for your life, what would it be in 30 seconds or less? Be a musician. Yes. I'm going to be in your band too. <laughs> <laughs> right on. Let's do it. <laughs> What's the best productivity hack you've implemented in your business? And you can't say simpleology. Well, funnily, all of the stuff that we use in our culture is all like simpleology driven stuff. So it's hard to like come up with a non-simpleology yeah, yeah. thing. Best productivity hack, optimizing health. Yeah. And by the way, simpleology, definitely get it. The Jaime tool. Anytime you can eliminate friction in decision-making, it makes things so much easier and less stressful. So do you want, listen, you might already be retired. This is your retirement. I don't know. But do you want to retire? Do you see yourself on a beach somewhere just drinking? Making my ties, or are you like, I want to keep working? And what are you doing in your retirement years? Let's say retirement is total bullshit. I, I think it's a, it's worse than bullshit. It's a trap because we think that we're going to like, we're going to sit around and lounge and that's going to somehow give us satisfaction. Military retirees die within like five years often in their forties. They, they do their 20 after they join at 20, they're 40, five years later, they die. This, I mean, this happens because they're sedentary, right? This happens a lot. So, and I mean, I would like to shift into things, right? That I have visions of certain things I will shift into. There are larger sort of like philanthropic objectives yeah. I would like to accomplish. But that's what I would do. I would never stop moving. 
Yeah. And that's really a trick question. No one ever answers that I want to retire. I did. They just get the creative juices flowing as to what else I'm going to be doing. And I think that's yeah. like chapter. What book changed your life, business or personal? So many books. I would say from one of the late friends of mine, I mentioned, who's also a great mentor, Robert Anton Wilson. The first exposure I had to him was something, a fiction book that he co-wrote called the Illuminatus Trilogy. It exposed me to so many radically different ideas. And then I started going down the rabbit hole of reading his stuff and it opened up my mind to all sorts of things I had not yet considered. So that, that was probably a gateway drug for me to more profound ideas <laughs> at a very young age. Awesome. What do you want to be remembered for? A lot of my past accomplishments, I would love to be remembered for those, but I would like to more be remembered for things that I am yet to do that I, I hope are more impactful especially things that I, I want to do that impact the, the, the great conflict of the future I talked about between fast-moving tech and slow-moving government. I think those are probably the, the most useful contributions I can make, maybe. What's one skill you'd recommend anybody early on in the career developing to just be the most impactful in whatever they do going forward? Mastering something I call Konkyo Kaizen. Kaizen, of course, is small gradual improvements. Konkyo is, uh, is the Japanese word for environment. So I sort of invented like this little discipline, Konkyo Kaizen. It's like make physical changes in your environment that will impact your, your behavior, right? So what I tell people is like I, I give them a very s strict set of rules. Clear a path to the things that you want. Put up a barrier between the things that you don't want, right? If you like, for example... If you, if you have a, if you struggle with junk food, get it all out of your house, have lots of healthy snacks within arm's reach, and then put guardrails around your life so that you are moving in a direction so that your environment pushes you in the direction that you want to go. There's a, a, a lot you can do with this. There's so much you can do with it. And it's way more consequential than people realize. And it creates a silent system running in the background of your life that you don't even have to be consciously aware of. You set it once and forget it and allow it to have that impact on your life. It's it's way more important than most people realize. That's that's very powerful hearing that. I mean, as a parent, as a team leader, as as a company owner too, it's I, I think that we have access to so many things. We have like we're instant access to information, dopamine loops, and we can get really distracted really fast. So understanding how to curb that and control it and be disciplined in our actions, I think that's yeah, that's really powerful. I was my number one thing's always the skill to adapt, but I think that adapting is understanding those limitations as to what those devices are creating or whatever else is coming up. Okay. I've got this yeah, one. Cool one. This one's a cool one. Right. So I want to jump this, this what's one thing you'd want to celebrate in a year from today. If we were meeting up again at an event or just back on the phone, what's one thing you'd want to accomplish. And we were, uh, yeah, having a celebration about it. Well, there's something big coming up. For buy optimizers, can I can I mention that, or does that is that secret at this? Yeah, point? yeah, mention away. I I think that's probably going to be the most consequential thing that we work on together. I would like to see that be way beyond Matt and Wade's current expectations for success. I think it can be more consequential even than they're envisioning right now. And I would like to, I would love to look back at that over the next year. Speaking of things we're doing together. Yeah, I, I think that it can be, yeah, it's, I think it's, it might be bigger than they realize. I have a hunch too. And based on the releases of what's coming, 
there's a book, there's a kit, there's a complete revolutionary diet wars documentary that is going to be happening. And around this time, it should have taken off, caught fire and and reached the the mainstream, which is really the intention and getting on some pretty big shows to get the message across. And uh, yeah, so that's a good one. Let's I'm going to put a follow up on that a month before it happens. (laughs) Yeah, right on. (laughs) And last one here, Mark, what's one bucket list item that you want to do or a new chapter of your life you still want to write? I, I will have a post business world career for sure where I'll be like sitting on the board of companies and, and still influencing and guiding them, but doing different things with my day to day. There are all sorts of different. So what I would be doing is launching different forms of, of startups that are more philanthropically based and, and sitting on the board of those organizations as well, but, but making sure that all of those things can be well-funded because I want them to succeed, whether or not they're commercially viable or commercially successful. There, there are a, a number of bells that I think that we've got to ring for this world that the governments of the world are not ringing for us. And I, I would like to, to spearhead a lot of that. What a great end to a great conversation. I love that. And I look forward to seeing you do that. I think you'd actually thrive in that environment too. So Awesome talking to you, Mark. Thank you for joining me today on the podcast. I enjoyed the conversation today. I hope that everyone listening goes and gets Simpleology, goes to partnerprofits.com slash roadmap to money. Find out what everything we're talking about today. It's going to help you in your career. It's going to help you in your life. It's going to help you just be disciplined and understand yourself better, be more successful and be happier. So once again, thank you for your time, Mark. Appreciate you on the call today. My pleasure. All right, guys. Till next time. Take care. We'll see you soon. Cheers. That's all we've got for this Partner Up Profits podcast episode. As always, I hope you leave here today with one new idea that you can apply to your life and business. I'd be forever grateful to you for leaving a review of this episode. And if you like it, rate it a five or give it a thumbs up and just leave a quick comment in iTunes, Stitcher, wherever you tune in to listen. Also, make sure to link up with us at partnerupprofits.com on social media. And please just share, share, share this podcast with anyone who you think might enjoy it. Until next time, remember, you're just one partnership away from changing your business. Let others do the selling for you and get ready to partner up and profit.